live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 4, Episode 12. This is your host, Blake. On today's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by two-time MLS Team of the Week honoree, U.S. Youth National Team player, and Philadelphia Union's homegrown right back from Oldsmar, Florida, the one, the only, Nathan Harriel. Nathan, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. Thank you for having me. Of course, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. But I watched some NBA playoff games after this. Uh, cook some dinner. So I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing pretty good. You're not watching the U.S. Open Cup? Uh, the big game, Brooklyn-Boston. Pretty big game. Pretty big game. Missed game one. Took a, took a big nap after we got back from Toronto. So I got to make it for it tonight. All right. Well, we'll get into that sports fandom here shortly. Uh, so before we get into your career leading up to and with the union, let's first get to know Nathan Harrell off the pitch. Right. So I traveled to Philly when you guys took on the crew at home last year. And of course, I had to stop somewhere and grab a cheesesteak, right? <laughs> Google told me John's roast pork was the best in town. And let's just say I was kind of disappointed. Don't know if you've had it. But right. Nathan, what is the best cheesesteak spot in Philly? And what do you order? And how do you order it? I really have never <clears throat> gone to like a one of those cheesesteak spots. The first time I went was actually uh, last year in my old house mom who I lived with when I first moved up here took me and we went to Gino. So like just a classic tour spot, nothing, nothing special, nothing crazy, but just a regular cheesesteak with, uh, with Wiz, with Wiz, you know, it was, it was good, but I need to definitely get out and try some of these, these hidden gems that are all, that are um, all around the city. Got to get out there and try it. Yeah, I have to. So you're talking about watching the NBA playoffs after this. Philadelphia is quite the sports town. You got the Phillies, Flyers, 76ers, and Eagles. Which is your favorite Philly team to support? And have you formed any friendships with athletes from other teams? Um, my favorite, I don't know. It's it's a toss-up between uh the Phillies and the Sixers, mainly probably the Sixers, because back at home, I'm from Tampa, Florida, and uh we don't have a we have everything but a basketball team. So be able to have a basketball team in the in the city I live in is definitely different. It's it's interesting watching it. Have you formed any friendships with like Joel Embiid or any of those? Nah, guys? No, 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 not even close. Not even oh, close. Come on, man, you're like superstar status now. Yeah, not that level though. That's different. All right. So speaking of other sports, if you weren't playing professional soccer, what other sport would you want to go pro in? Um, probably football because that's my. Uh, family's background you know my dad's a football coach he played football he went to college he played football so that's where I grew up you know I grew up on a high school football field high school football locker room since the age of I don't know two so I that's my whole that's been my whole entire life so probably probably football I had a feeling you were going to say that I was going through the union's TikTok earlier and I saw a clip from preseason you threw this 50 yard tight spiral yeah so so if Jalen Hurts and Gardner Minshew both went down do you think you could fill in for the Philadelphia Eagles? I would love to go to training camp one day. Uh, I, I can chuck a ball. I can chuck a ball. It was. The form was a little wonky. I was kind of scared for your elbow and shoulder, but it was a tight spiral, man. Yeah. And, and I saw in the comments that you asked for, like, an open tryout. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. If anybody that is listening to this podcast and has any kind of pull with the Philadelphia Eagles, get this guy out there. Erica, help me out. Nathan, when you aren't training, playing – 
eating cheesesteaks, which you really don't do, or attending other Philly sporting events, what do you like to do in your free time? Um, honestly, I like to go hang out with some of my friends, you know, and then also chill at the apartment because, you know, relaxing is not easy to get in this profession, you know, always on the road, always, especially in the summer, transitions are hot, but, you know, you just chill with some of my close friends I've made up here over the, over the time, you know, from YSC, some of the guys that graduated, one of them goes to uh, a university up here and I go over there to chill with some of those guys, you know, just being a normal kid once in a while, you know. So that's that's always good to do. And then also McGlynn is my neighbor in my apartment building. So go over there, mess with them a little bit and stuff. Nice. You don't have any roommates, though? No roommates on the team? Uh, no, I came out of a house with 10 people and now I'm living by myself and it's, it's nice, peaceful and quiet. Enjoy that while you can. Yeah, yeah. All right. So switching from living next to McGlynn to your favorite song out right now and who controls the ox in the locker room? Uh, the ox, it's kind of a toss up, you know, sometimes it's Jose, other times it's Baizo, and then out of nowhere, you'll get like a freeze, Matt freeze will take the ox. So it just, it all really depends, but like, I don't know. And then my favorite song out right now, <clears throat> oh, it's a toss up. Uh, probably it's not, I mean, it's, it's old, but it's uh, Views by Drake from the Views album. That song is classic. It's so good. That whole entire album, just masterpiece. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Drake fan myself, so I agree with you there. Who does the best gritty on the union? Is myself. You? Oh. Yeah, 100% me. I've, yeah, it's me. It's not anybody else. All right, so you haven't scored a goal yet in your union career. If no. you do, if and when you do score, maybe on your birthday this upcoming weekend, Maybe, maybe. It might have to come out. It might have to come out. It's a little old now. Like, the trend's kind of dead, but I might still bring it out. I mean, if you do it the best on the union, bro, you got to show it off a little bit, you know? I have to. I might have to. All right, so I touched on your birthday. You turned 21 this Saturday. So, yeah. first of all, I don't know if you can answer this question on this interview, but what's your beverage of choice going to be after the match for CF Montreal? And looking back at your previous 20 birthdays, what is the best birthday gift you've ever received? I'm not 21, so I can't answer the first question because I haven't had a drink. And um, my best birthday gift, hopefully a win versus Montreal on Saturday. But um, my best birthday gift, probably when I was in middle school, I got an iPhone. I forgot what iPhone it was, but that was definitely the best, the best gift I've gotten on my birthday. It's the gift that keeps giving. You can literally do anything on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so last but not least, before we get into the soccer stuff, yeah. if you had to write your own autobiography, what would you title it? Uh, I would say Diamond in the Rough because growing up, you know, I was never really like a highly recruited person. You know, I was very – I played at a regular academy, nothing crazy, Clearwater Chargers. Still a good, it's a good academy, but still, like, we never really got a lot of publicity and stuff like that. And then Union finding me, and now I'm here, it's just – it's just been, it's been a lot, you know, it's been a lot, but it's been good. It's been fun. So I, that's why I say diamond in the rough. Phenomenal title. Best one I've got from a player all season. That's well done. All right. So getting into the soccer stuff at just 21 years of age, as of the Saturday, you're already in your second full season of professional soccer with the Philadelphia union, but let's take it back to when the dream first started for you, Nathan, why soccer? What made you fall in love with the beautiful game? I don't know. I think, I would say the main reason of why I fell in love with this game was because it was something different from what my family's done, especially my dad, you know, back at home, my dad went to high school there locally and like everywhere we go, everybody knows my dad for 
Dana's outstanding football player at the high school and stuff. And like, they're all like, oh, you need to get Nate into football. He needs to be doing this and that. But in soccer, it's a whole nother world. No one at home really knows about it. None of my family and friends know about it. None of my family, both mom and dad's side, know about it. So just something uh, something different than something I can grow myself in and make my own my own name. So you've talked a lot about your dad and growing up in the football yeah. locker room and on, on the football field. How big of an impact has he made on your uh, on your life and your sporting career, your mentality, all that, and the sacrifices that he's made? Um, just being like that dominant athlete and, you know, just – if you have a dream, just go get it. You know, it's always, he used to train me when I was younger. When I got older, we couldn't really do it that much, but um, just always going out there, giving a hundred percent, all effort and stuff. And just having this will you have to uh, get where you want to be. Who else did you kind of look up to growing up? Um, Honestly, there was, I have a lot of influences, a lot of role models growing up, but at the same time, it was always just like, go out and have fun. And then probably the most recent one I've had that I just realized now was my grandmother, even though she, she passed away last November, right before the Red Bull playoff game. Just everything that she's done for me, sacrifices she made for me, you know, even up here, uh, I would have like hour and phone calls with her just to do schoolwork and stuff. Cause when I was back at home, she would help me with, I'd go right from school to my grandmother's house, do homework and like stuff like that. And then go to practice. So definitely my grandmother. So just living up, to those standards she had for me is probably my biggest uh, role model. That's really awesome. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that, Nathan. Yeah. So following your youth career with the Chargers Developmental Academy in Clearwater, Florida, you were presented with two very different pathways and an extremely tough decision to make as a 16-year-old. In January of 2018, you verbally committed to play soccer at the University of Clemson, and in that same year, you decommitted and joined the Philadelphia Union Academy instead. This was truly a life-changing decision, and you were making it as just a 16-year-old, I believe. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about that decision-making process, what factors went into it, and why you ultimately decided to forego college to join the Philadelphia Academy. Yeah, no, that was a um, very wild time. You know, I went from being a kid. I just focused on going to college. That was my biggest thing at Chargers. That was, that was all of us. None of us were really thinking about, like, oh, sign a pro contract. It was all about getting that college scholarship being able to play at the the next level and then possibly if you get lucky enough, make the jump. So when it came down to it, I had a good showcase and uh, in the uh, in the summer playoffs with Clearwater. And then after after uh, the break, my coach called me saying, Philadelphia wants you to come up, blah, blah, blah. So, okay, come up here just for a trial. That's what I thought. It was. I just like a trial training. So we come up, have a great week, go back home. And then they're like, Nate, uh, they want you and your mom and dad to fly up this time. So they're like, oh, okay. So we come up here, my mom and dad took a little bit of convincing, but they loved it. They liked why I see how we, how the academy ran things. You know, you see the pathway. Because at that time, Brendan was signed on the first team. And then Mark McKenzie actually was, he, when I visited Wake Forest before Clemson, he was my like tour guide, like my person. So then I, my mom and dad talked to him about like the pathway and how it's different and how it's, you can develop more. So after that, I was like, you know what? I might not get the chance again. Got to take it. And then when I called Clemson, that was very strange because it went from, yeah, I'm 100% committed to I'm not going here anymore. And on signing day, the day before signing day, actually, is when I did it. So it was, yeah, it was a lot. There's a lot of tension, a lot of stress. But at the end of the day, I had to make the best decision for myself and, that was coming to Philadelphia.
decommitting from Clemson. Yeah. You're you're 20 years old now. Tanner Testman is 20 years old. He was also going to go to Clemson. Were you guys going to be in the same class? I uh, I think he was a cl- no, yeah, we were in the same class. We we're in the same exact class. It's crazy cuz even like he knows like Testman knows Debo cuz that's his they're related to each other. And then I also know Debo because of he a kid from my high school went to Clemson played football there, Octavia Scott. So there's a lot of connection there. So it was just like when it happened, he was like, yo, why do you decommit, blah, blah. And then like three weeks later, four weeks later, he did the same thing as me. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. Oh, man. How good Clemson soccer could have been back then. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they're, they're still good anyway. Yeah, they're still they fine. They're still championship. So you talk about Mark McKenzie and how he was your tour guide at Wake Forest and yeah. how he was kind of influential in your time at that you guys crossed yeah. over at Philadelphia Union. Do you still have conversations with him? Are you guys still in touch? And you know, yeah, what kind of advice does he yeah. share? Yeah, all the time we always talk and it's not always about soccer either like we used to be chatting about about just life in general and how things are going up here and then how things are going for him in, in uh in belgium so it's it's good to have a communi- communication with, with him still i even play playstation with him sometimes so yeah it's good we always talk we always talk so this that's what i was fishing for earlier you know when i was asking you what you did in your free time every yeah. soccer player i ask what they do in their free time they, yeah yeah that, they play video games what do you yeah, play I got, I played Call of Duty, a lot of Call of Duty. Okay. But I kind of got burned out during 2020 quarantine. That took a toll on me because it would just be wake up, go run a little bit, come back to the house and just play Call of Duty all day long. Are you playing Warzone? Yeah, I'm trash, but. Oh, me too, man. Yeah. Actually, it was funny. My boys, right before I hopped on this podcast, they're like, hey, anybody want to get on later? And I was like, yeah, I might get on after my interview with Nathan Harrell. My boys were like, yo, get his username and get him in the, get him in the party. <laughs> hey we might actually get really good lobbies because i'm really bad too so yes yeah that's what people use me for my cousin in boston if you're like yo you want to play tonight i'm like yeah sure easy easy win begging for you to play like come on man please yeah Yeah. all right so we started this kind of talking about your education and foregoing your college education your career are you currently continuing your education or do you have plans to in the future yeah i still am doing school i've been doing school since I graduated high school at YC. I took a little break, you know, just to see what this life's really going to be like. But yeah, I still go to school. It's very important to me, my family. My mom actually said the only way I do this is if I continue doing school. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging to do school with the schedule that we have. But at the same time, it's good to have it just as a plan B. That's really cool. Yeah. Planning for the future, you know, you, you can't yeah. play soccer forever. So that's yeah, really I just important. Got, I just got done with an essay right before this, so. Nice. Any idea what you want to do after soccer? No, no, not yet. Not yet. Just going with a casual business degree. Yeah. You can do a lot with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So after one season with YSC Academy, you went to play two seasons with union two, obviously part of your decision to make the move from Florida to Philly, like we just talked about was to chase your dreams of going pro, but in what ways, both personally and as a player, did they help prepare you to turn your dreams into a reality? I think, Personally, it gave me the maturity aspect. You know, you're in a locker room with grown men every single day and not around kids your own age. So that was the biggest thing. And then soccer-wise, you know, you just develop little things that you notice that become big things, like just uh, getting the simple things done 100% of the time. So that's that have been the biggest two things. If I went to Clemson, yeah, I still would have – soccer would have been good, but my maturity aspect, I'm not for sure it would be that high that I am right now. Yeah. So July 17th, 2020 a day that you'll probably never forget. At least I hope not. The day you signed your first professional contract, 
emotionally, what was that day like for you and your family? It was crazy. You know, like I, it was, I don't know, just all the hard work of 18 years just goes into it. And then finally signing that contract, it was like a stress relief, you know, it was wild. But then I had my brother, the same thing. I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll be there in five more years. But it was, it was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a good experience to have it. I mean, things moved really, really fast for you, you know, from the verbally committing to Clemson to going to Philly. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of said it, your parents were a little skeptical and yeah. you know, they, the only way they agreed to this is if you continue to go to school, like a, a lot happened very, very quickly yeah. for you. Do you ever look back on it? Like, wow, I'm really happy. I made this decision. Yeah. Cause the memories I've, I've like, yes, I lost memories and experiences by not going to college and taking that route but I also gain experiences and memories of kind of like the Philadelphia you know I was 18 19 playing in the second division in America and then I made my debut this past year you know at the age of 20 which a lot of people can't say they did and then also yet again with uh, living in the residency house with 10 people 11 people from all over the, the country that experience in itself was just completely different you see where people come from and you make new bonds with people so it was definitely definitely worth it coming up here yeah in order to grow you have to make yourself uncomfortable and you did exactly that and look where you're at now exactly exactly yeah so in your first full season with the union you played in seven matches totaling just 279 minutes and through the first seven weeks of the season you have started in all but the opening match totaling 540 minutes so far so leaving last season did jim Curtin and the coaching staff identify any areas of your game that needed to improve upon to get more minutes if so, what were they? And secondly, talk to me about your mentality and work ethic heading into your previous offseason and preseason in terms of coming in ready to push for that starting spot. Um, no, it wasn't really anything specific that uh, what Jim told me and the coach that told me to work on. But there was, uh, there was little stuff for, like, your rest defense position and uh, when you go forward, when is the right time to go forward. And then going to this year, it was just my mindset would just work your ass off, basically. Because, you know, last year at the beginning of the year, I wasn't really getting on the roster whatsoever. I was there if there was an injury or something. So I was like, I don't want to go back to that towards the end of the year when I was making rosters and then got the chance, the, the conference final game, which was huge. So my mindset this year was just, just work your ass off, never be complacent, and um, just try to get better in one, one area each and every single day. And that's what I've been focusing on still to this day. So maybe Jim Curtin and the coaching staff didn't give you something specifically to work on in the offseason and in the preseason, but was there anything personally that you left last season saying, you know what, I really need to improve upon this to get more minutes? Uh, definitely just my, my positioning was the biggest thing, you know, especially as a, as a fullback, you're kind of out on an island most of the time. And, and then as a defender, you're like the last line. So just my positioning, make sure I get it right, you know, because there's some players in this league that are special that you give them half an inch and they're gone, you know. I saw last year in training with Miro. He's small, but that man is shifty and quick. So you just have to be – my position was probably the biggest thing that I wanted to work on myself. So after the first match of the season, Olivier Mbizo was benched, and you have played every single minute at right back since then. Olivier has something to prove, although you do too. This year as he's trying to make Cameroon's final roster for the 2022 World Cup. Knowing that he is fighting every day to get back on the pitch and nobody's spot is guaranteed, how has the right back competition pushed not only you, but both of you guys to perform your very best on a daily basis? And also, what's your relationship with him like? It makes the competition better, you know. I'm a young guy. He's a he's not old, but he's he's been here for more years. 
So it just makes us better each and every single day, you know. And it shows us that if we have a game that might be off and not be like our usual self, there's a reason to rotate. You know, there's no excuses of why one of us is in the lineup this year. You know, so that's 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 how it's that's how it's going to go this year, and then that's how we know it. And then our, our relationship is good. You know, he's always very encouraging to me. I'm encouraging to him. There's no there's no hostility between both of us. You know, that's just that's just leads to a toxic locker room and a toxic leadership so no everything's been everything's been good between all of us everything's been good does jim Curtin and the philly organization just in general do they foster that competitive environment that's like okay it's a next man up mentality yeah it has been since day one this year there's no there's no like you can't be complacent in in our team you know it's it's every single day you go and compete and the best players and training are going to be on the roster for the game day so it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are, how many minutes you have, if you made team of the week, whatever, blah blah. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Just go out and compete every single day, and that just makes the team better in general. Also, absolutely, it's a good mentality to have. But before we get into the next segment, I have to ask: Do you right. watch film? Does Jim Curtin make you watch film? How important is it to watch film? And what exactly are you looking at? I watch film, yeah, and then I have Ryan Richter and then Frank. They send me down once a week here them. And we go over little things in the game, and it's very important because you can see areas where you might get lucky that they didn't, that an opponent didn't see it, and things you can fix. So yeah, film is very important. And also myself, I like watching film in general, just to see certain things that maybe Breakthrough or Frank or Jim don't bring up and stuff. Because there's little scenarios in games where you can take advantage of, and uh, especially when scouting an opponent, you can see the habits that they have and stuff like that. So the reason I asked that question is because I like to ask every player that I interview just to break down a few highlights for me. And so the first one I want to talk about is on the defensive side of the ball in the game against Toronto. See, you led all players in duels one with 14. So first of all, congrats on an excellent performance overall. But let's take a look at Toronto FC's opening goal in this match. Jose Martinez turned the ball over in your defensive half with a careless pass. Osorio then drove the ball forward on the dribble combined with Jesus Jimenez. And at this point, you are still in a position to mark the wide player. For yeah. some reason, Jakob Glesnes then steps and leaves his man to step to Osorio, leaving you to mark two men in the box. And at that point, you had two choices, hold your ground or step to the ball. You chose to step, leaving Jimenez open, and he found the back of the net to open the scoring in this one. From your perspective, talk to me about how this play developed in front of you and what you guys could have done differently to avoid conceding. Yeah, we actually talked about that in film today a little bit. But um, just in general, like when you're in that 20 yards out from that, it's almost like just do whatever you can to defend at that point. You know, there's got to be – it's hard to communicate in that area. The, the field is so hard. It's so chaotic and stuff like that. But just – I just see it as an unlucky play because nine times out of ten, we're getting that correct. You can see in the past, I don't know, five games, you've had shutouts basically. So just – there's, there's a little bit of confusion during that that moment in the game and stuff like that. And there was actually a goal that Toronto scored a few weeks ago. I think it was against NYC. You see the exact same finish from the exact same spot, exact same player. Yeah, and it's tough when they're driving at the 18, playing combination play right at the top of the 18, and it's forcing guys to step, Glessness stepped, then you step because, I mean, probably at that part of the pitch, it's most important to stop the ball. Yeah. And in order to do that, you also have to leave a couple guys open on the back stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it's like a lose lose type of thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of a domino effect. One guy steps, one guy's open. Another guy steps, another guy's open. But 
Your 2-1 loss over the weekend was the union's first defeat of the year. Was there anything in particular that Toronto FC did tactically on either side of the ball that presented a challenge to you guys? No, I think we just killed ourselves with our own mistakes. That was the way I see it as. There was nothing fancy, nothing special about it. We just made little mistakes, and then they punished us. That's, right. how, that's how I see it. That's how I see it. All right, so I got one all the Philadelphia Union fans want to know an answer to. So while we're talking about on the topic of challenges. I think I know. <laughs> was the referee's breath a challenge? And what was going on in that run-in with the ref last weekend? So how do I explain this? Well, in the, I think it was like the 50th minute, the ball goes out for a corner. The ball is like kind of spinning back on the field. I kind of nudge it back in the field or whatever. And then the, I've got the forward name for Charlotte. Runs to my back. I make a big thing out of it, trying to draw a card. Nothing happens. Ref said, don't do it again. So, like, all right, whatever. And then 10 minutes later, ball goes out of bounds. Fan grabs it, throws it back on the field. Bender tries to kick it out of bounds, hits the board, comes back in. And I'm running to go get the ball, throw it in. And I kick that ball off the board. And I hit it a little bit too hard, I guess. And it happened to come back in the field. And the linesman said I was okay. It's whatever. He knows, he knows what I'm trying to do. And then I get the ball. And then I see the AR in my face. And I was like, what do you want? And then he's, he kept saying eye contact. I was like, I'm not going to make eye contact. <laughs> and he just a big mess. And like, he was in my face. I tried to move out the way. And then the video came out and it was pretty funny. My mom texted me after the game saying he'd be nice to ref too. So <laughs> I guess that's my fault. But I don't know. Just he got close to my face. And I don't like people that being that close to my face. Hey man, it was one of the funniest moments I've seen the season. And what a mom move from your mother to text you and just be nice to referees. Nobody's nice to referees in the professional game. Uh, if he was nice to me, he was he was he was a fine guy. But the minute he got in my face like that, I was like, I can't, I can't be doing this. I can't <laughs> treat people the way you want to be treated, ref. Yeah, well, I think in in 2020 when we were USL, I some like a player did that to me. And I made like a, like I held my nose and like made a stank face. I was like, if I do that, I'm definitely getting a red card or some fine. So like, just hold, just don't do it. So do you talk smack during games? No, nah, I don't. No, nah, okay. really. it's not. Nah, I just play, but like, I don't know. I just talking smack really don't do nothing. Just play. And then if you hold a zero, they really, no one can talk. No one can say anything. Yeah. That's doing all the talk for you. Yeah. All right, so now an attacking highlight to break down. Break down your 33rd-minute assist in the New York City FC match. And I'm, I looked on MLSsoccer.com, and it's not listed as an assist, so I'm really confused. But from your vision to see the space to your short, choppy steps to hold your run from Bedoya to the cross, from your yeah. perspective, talk to me about that play. Well, I saw the ball was coming out, and I wanted to hit it first time, actually, before Ali got the ball. I said, leave it, leave it, leave it. And I wanted Is to that why you were taking those short, choppy steps? Yeah, because last year in a scrimmage, I had the same exact play, and I banged one. So I was getting ready to smash it. And then I saw Ollie come out of nowhere, and he wasn't listening to me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to make the run around. Make the run around. Ollie's passes almost perfect all the time. Plays down the line perfectly. And I saw Daniel in the back post just slot it across and finish. And we do that crossing and finishing like that every week. So I've been doing that for almost three years consistently. And I'll finally have it pay off as just a relief. But, yeah, I just – it's great to have my first assist for the year done, but it, technically it's not my assist because it touched Colin's leg. It was someone stupid. I don't know. It's ridiculous. That was an assist. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. When I found out after, I was like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Because they, because Ollie told me that I didn't get it. I was like, "What do you mean I didn't get it?" He's like, "Yeah, I didn't get the second assist, so you didn't get the first assist." I was like, "All right, whatever." You talk about Ollie. 
what's your relationship with him? Like you guys play the midfield diamond and that, that yeah. same side midfielder for you guys is so, so important. You know, flock is so important on, yeah. on the, on the left-hand side and Madoy is so important on the right side. What's your relationship with him? Like, it's good. You know, it's fun. He's, he always talks to me. He's, he talks to all of us, all young guys, but it's with me. It's good. We always, I always joke around with him. He always jokes around with me and make some jokes. We have a bet right now going on. That I can't talk about, but um, yeah, it's, he's a good relationship and then he also knows my like the residency house he knows my house mom personally because of back home in florida too so it's it's a good relationship god the guy's almost old enough to be your father man i don't say that (laughs) hey he's still playing the game with class he's still a really good player uh but we were just talking about the new york city fc match i've never asked a player i've interviewed that's actually played at yankee stadium what's it like playing on that field that's a little bit smaller than usual (laughs) a different just I mean, it's so weird because, like, the fans are not, like, they're not on top of you, so it doesn't feel like a normal game, but they're still there. And then the field is just small, and it just – it just feels – it doesn't feel right. But, hey, it's their field of choice, so you can't really argue with it. Yeah. New York City FC fans aren't necessarily happy. They want their own soccer-specific stadium. Yeah, their small little banner, too. You kind of kind of squints. Ooh. Ooh. Pretty, We're throwing shade pretty, out here, aren't we? Pretty small, so. All right, Nate. So you've been in excellent form to start the season and you've maintained your starting role thanks to some outstanding performances that we just talked about. Because of that, there's a ton of hype surrounding you. Part of the reason why I got you on this podcast this week. Bora Bay 17, I think I'm saying that correctly, on Twitter wants to know, and I do too, how does this hype and the expectations that come with it impact your game and how do you deal with it? Um, I'm just playing a game that I've been doing since I was age of four. You know, I really don't see it as pressure. Or as any any hype, you know, pressure. I was watching a podcast yesterday called The Pivot, and Shaq was on it yesterday, and he was talking about his experience. And his one time, his dad was like, "What's wrong? You can't handle the pressure." And he said, "Yeah, I can handle the pressure." And that's playing a game is really not any pressure, you know. Pressure is when you can't find your next meal, don't know if you're gonna be able to pay rent. That's that's real pressure. So doing this is is not any pressure. It's just going out there, enjoy the game I I have, and trust my abilities. You're wise beyond your years, man. Yeah. So next up for you guys is a surging CF Montreal squad on a four-match unbeaten streak. You'll be matched up with Georgi Mihailovic when he's out wide. And there's a little bit of chatter going around the league. You know, is he going to be league MVP? Four goals, three assists through seven matches. We'll see. What's the scouting report on defending him in Montreal? We haven't gone over that in general, but just, you know, they're a good team, good side. You know, they're not anyone to underestimate. Georgie's a special player. You know, you can even see the goal that he got called back against us when he scored to go up 2-0 that called back. He's he's fast. He's decisive with his, his passes. He's sneaky. So, yeah, just definitely emphasis on Georgie. Definitely is going to happen. So, there's a lot of conversation with Georgie right now, you know, possibly being on the plane to Qatar, getting called up for, for Nations League, and I'm in that camp. I think that Georgie should absolutely get that shot for you. You've played for U.S. youth national teams. What are your goals for the U.S. youth national team? Are you eyeing U23s? You know, World Cup comes here in 2026. Maybe that's on the horizon for you. Yeah, no, I'm just taking it day by day, honestly. Like, if I get called into camp, that's fantastic. You know, I had Bendix been in my ear about it, stuff like that. I'm like, Joe, relax, relax. But, yeah, obviously, it'd be, it'd be great to get back into the, when we start up with the U23s, whenever that is. You know, and then also like a January camp, maybe possibly after the World Cup. 
and stuff like that. But that only happens if my form continues to be great and my performance continues to be good. There is some competition in the league at right back, domestic right back, Brandon by specifically a young guy. Are there any other guys you're kind of looking up to in the league at right back? It's like, oh, pretty good players. Oh, there was Julian, but now he's Mexican. So there's that. But, um, yeah, I mean, even he's already in the team, but he's in the league is DeAndre. You know, that's mm-hmm. that man is he's a, like I've been talking to my friend Shia that plays down there in Miami. He said DeAndre's different. He's very good. Touches are Christian and everything. But I just try to get caught in the camp. You really can't focus on it too much or anything. If it happens, it happens. You just got to focus on yourself and on your play. Couple more for you, then I'm gonna get you off here. Okay. We talked about Georgie Mihailovic and the possibility of you defending him in moments. Who have been some of the toughest players you've had to fit to defend so far in your young MLS career? Uh Zellerian, definitely. That man was he was so good, so small, so shifty. Um when he he didn't really joke to my side that much, but just I could tell was Posuela from Toronto. He's another one that's he's a lead too. Um, who else have we played this year? Even like some people are just like Zardes. That man posted up against me one time, strong as hell. You know, knowing like everyone I guard, like I always respect them, but not fear. So that's how I go into games. Like you can't never, you can never doubt a winger in this league. Any personal goals for you for this season? Goals, assists, anything that you want to improve upon? I'll get my first goal. I don't know. But um, no, just, just continue to put in good performances. And then also with these, these clean sheets, I want to get a little bit, a few more, you know, and then also the big goals in general for the team wise is playoffs, but individually wise, definitely try to get up around five assists this year. I think that's very possible for you. Any last thoughts for Philadelphia union fans? Uh, this is redemption year. You know, last year we ended sadly with the COVID situation and stuff like that. And we still possibly, we just got unlucky in the NYCFC game, you know, I missed a header. We had some other opportunities that we didn't put away. But, yeah, just a redemption year. Redemption year. You know, you you had a really good title for your autobiography. (laughs) What was it, Diamond in the Rough? But I like – I think I like redemption year better, man. Yeah. Redemption year featuring Nathan Nathan Harriel. I like that. I like the ring to that. (laughs) All right, well, Nathan, let me get off here, man. Uh, Let me get you off here. We've been on here for about a half hour. Nathan, thank you for, for hopping on the podcast. You got a fan in me. You're an excellent interview, excellent young man, excellent soccer player. You got a fan of me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Listeners, thanks for tuning in to MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 12, featuring Philadelphia Union homegrown Nathan Harriel. Be sure to tune in to his match this Saturday at 3 p.m. on ESPN+. While you're at it, make sure to wish him happy 21st birthday as well. Until next time, support local soccer support small podcasts. And if you can't be good, be careful. Peace.